0: a hotel upgrade, lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions, compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to investing for beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shana Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, is her show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy 1-2-3 system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have our favorite friend from the Great White North, Braden Dennis, to join us today. Braden, for those of you unfamiliar with him, the two or three of you out there, he runs... Stratosphere.io, one of my favorite, actually my favorite, investing platform, as well as the Canadian Investor Podcast, which has become my favorite show that I listen to every week. I've been driving across the country, and so I banked up a few of them the other day, so I actually got to listen to Braden and Simone talk for almost two hours. I'm sorry to hear that, Dave. (laughs) So Braden is here to talk to us about all things stocks. So Braden, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. So tell us what's going on. Tell us what's been exciting you or
1: churning you excited about stuff. Well, Dave, Andrew, I always love coming on this show. And I'm not just saying that, you know, you like you go on a podcast and you're like, thanks for having me on like the kind of cookie cutter thing. No, I really mean it. You and I have been doing this for a long time now. And it's always fun. Nice chatting with you guys. And Likewise. thanks for saying that about the show. I really appreciate that. What's been welcome. exciting me recently is the how the stock market keeps going up and up and up. Have you guys noticed that? Like it's been <laughs> it's crazy. It Very just keeps funny. going higher <laughs> and
2: higher. <laughs> your, your your screens upside down, right? Your, your monitor is one of those new ones that has a hook and it I think your screen yeah, is curved. Down.
1: It's <laughs> curved. So like it kind of gives this nice portrayal. You know what? What's been exciting? Just working on new projects. You know, the engineer in me likes building things that people use and find valuable. So my best effort into doing that is giving people the best financial data they can find on the internet. And we're going to talk later about like specific metrics that really move the needle for these public companies that I think are more important to focus on now than ever given Stocks keep falling and, you know, in a bear market, it really tests your conviction day in and day out. Like, and you keep adding to your portfolio and, you know, it just keeps grinding sideways or lower. While this is completely normal in bear markets, both professionals and retail do it yourself investors can't be immune to how that feels. And it really continues to test your conviction all the way down until you find a complete mode of desperation where the scale has gone from extreme greed to extreme fear. And then eventually the bottom, the market finds a bottom there. But it tests your conviction until it does so. And I think that investors are feeling that today and they're gonna feel it again sometime in the future because bear markets happen. You know, you can uh broken clocks write twice a day and you can just keep saying that the bear markets are gonna happen more and more you know, and again and again. And that's because they do. And it is so normal, it is so healthy, it is part of the economy. There's expansion and contraction. Over the long term, though, investors do quite well.
2: So talk to us about, we talked a little bit about this off air, but for whatever reason, you know, you have the big companies in the stock market, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and then you have Netflix and Netflix for whatever reason, and I guess Facebook too would be also in that camp, but Netflix has taken the beating multiples compared to a lot of other stocks. So what have you seen there? And. What is the explanation for why a stock like that got hit so much more than, than the others? Cause they're, but they're all big and they're all tech. So yeah. what's going on?
1: Yeah. It's an excellent question. And investors have to keep asking themselves, like, is this a bear market with a reason why my tech stocks are down 70%? Like Netflix today is down over 70% from its peak in October of last year, which is dramatic for a company. You know that was once worth hundreds of billions in market cap. Like we're talking about one of the largest companies in the world, and so today, you know, that's 84 and change in market cap and erased almost all of its five-year gains. Now, mind you, even after this, what looks like falling off a cliff, investors have done exceptionally well if they've held the stock. You know since people first heard about the service. And so just paying attention to that kind of thing matters. But back to your question is they grew revenue on their latest quarter, almost 10% year over year. And and on the surface you go, how on earth does that warrant the stock to drop 36% in it's trading day after releasing earnings at the close. And that that is a legitimate question like how is that possible? Is this, you know, is it because, you know, the market is in extreme fear, you know, every company who reports earnings is going down, but but why is Netflix getting absolutely decimated? They grew revenue almost double digits. And the reason for that is they had for the first time ever net churn of subscribers. Not like Growth is slowing or anything like that, which is probably true as they reach like, you know, somewhat maturity, but actual net churn, more cancellations than new ads. And that is like a disaster for SaaS companies and for subscription based companies. Like net churn, it like makes me like feel sick as a technology entrepreneur. Like that sounds terrible. It's like the end of like your company's falling apart, right? And that's not true for Netflix's situation, but what is true is that for the first time they faced net churn. And if you look at the top line growth of 10% and for the first time ever net churn, it brings you to the most important point, which is these key company, key performance indicators are what usually drives the business fundamentals behind the scenes. And that'll come out in gap accounting, of course, it'll come out, but- you know, I'm raising money for my company right now and doing uh, venture capital meetings all the time. And they don't ask, let well, I me, mean, of course, they're asking me what the revenues are, but they're asking important questions like how many API calls a day? How many monthly active users? You know, like when someone comes on, like how sticky is it? Like they're using it like they power users. These types of actual key performance indicators, how many searches are being done on the platform a day? These are what are actually important and we track internally. And so on the top of every press release of of each company when they report earnings, usually above revenue before profits are the metrics that matter. Like Spotify is a perfect example. You might be listening to this podcast on Spotify. At the top of the press release, Daniel Eck doesn't say, here's our revenue. Daniel X says, here's the premium subscribers, here's the freemium subscribers, Here is it, it is in total, here's how it's trending, here's where we think it can go, this is where it was last year, in a table, before profit, free cash flow, all that gap accounting stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I've just been on a mission to try to build out this database of all these key performance indicators, because I think that they matter, and I, th- I think that they're hard to find in aggregate for these publicly traded companies. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source.
0: After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's monarchmone com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
2: They are hard to find, and it's cool to see resources like yours popping up because I know for me personally, I do this full-time. So I invest quite a bit in different tools and databases to save time so I don't have to hire people to go through the databases for me. And so those tools have not been available for all that long. And so to have a platform like yours... To have a lot of functionality at a good value for retail do it yourself investors. I think that's very, very cool. I mean, to give an example, you know, you mentioned Netflix with their net churn. A lot of times when I'm looking at different companies, I will want to compare different metrics. Um, that the companies also, it might not be at the top of the press release, but it will be if you go down and you look and it's not, not to say it's buried, but it takes it's some work to get you. there. Right. So. Like if you're looking at retailers, you're looking at same store sales, if you're looking at restaurants, same restaurant sales, and you compare how a company is doing in those key metrics compared to their competitors, and you can sometimes see where a company is the leader in their field when you have apples to apples comparisons with other companies. And that doesn't always show up in the financials, like you said, revenue or profits, doesn't always show up year to year because there's so many moving pieces, but some KPIs can be so important. What's hard about it is it's different for every business. And what we think is a KPI doesn't always mean is a a driver, but that doesn't mean you don't ignore them, right? You have to certainly look and see what are the KPIs and how can I use them to make better investing decisions.
1: Yeah. It drives a lot of valuable insight. And like you said, there's some The ones that will be buried. One that we really like, which sits on like page 186 of Amazon's 10K is their warehouse square footage. So this tells a really interesting story, right? Their footprint in terms of like real infrastructure has exploded to over 600 million square feet of warehousing space. And so it's on page literally like 186, I think it is on their 10K on their latest one. And we think that that's a really interesting story to track because it speaks to their competitive advantage, which is this distribution and infrastructure competitive advantage. All the other metrics, like how do you really quantify that story? Right without talking about something like, you know, well, look, they have 600 million freaking square feet of warehouse storage. like how do you compete with that? Like look at the capEx spend on that. like it drives a moat itself like in capEx spend as much as we love like asset like compounders. I mean, it's just just it's a real thing. it's hard to replicate. Yeah, and so I think like bringing it back to, you know, this is the investing for beginners podcast, a lot of new investors, will look out there and you are so blessed. And this is not like a promo of my own product. Like you're so blessed from a fee perspective, a reduced friction perspective, a data accessibility perspective to get this stuff that is so, it used to be so hard to find. Dude, completing a trade like 10, 20 years ago was impossibly hard. Like the friction has dropped off a cliff it is a wonderful time to start being an investor, to be an investor today, especially if you can get prices that you know <laughs> compressed prices like they are today. Uh, I just think I'm just very optimistic about the future, and I'm very optimistic for people who are just getting started, because the education, the information, the fee structure, the cost, the ability to get started, the way to the ability to connect your entire financial life. It's just so much better than it was even just five years ago. I just think it's wonderful.
2: Yeah, that's really cool, man. You know, when it comes to magic pills, I'm always skeptical whether you're talking about somebody who thinks value investing is the only way or Bitcoin is the only way. What are some ways to make sure that we're not putting too much reliance on the KPI and putting? It, how do you put KPIs in context with? an overall stock picking approach.
1: I just think it's part of the process, right? Like I'm talking about it right now because I'm literally all consumed by building this out right now. But of course, it's just part of the process and part of the thing to verify. And you know what? I think that the most value in it is tracking, right? Like for me, this is how I track my positions. I have like just three, sometimes even just one metric that I track for the 17 individual equities that I own. Today I own 17 individual equities and I track just those specific ones. And so bringing you back to the, the Spotify example, it's just subscribers. And that really helps you simplify your process, especially if you own a lot of names. Like I know a lot of people own tons of names. I'd probably just index if that was me, but <laughs> a lot of people own lots of names and start tracking it. Back to your question around like, it's not the only thing to look at, of course, like you'll get blindsided if you're only looking at one metric. It's the same with any, if you're looking at just one valuation metric, like if you're like only looking at price to earnings, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. Or if you're only buying companies with a PE less than 15, because Ben Graham's the intelligent investor, the Bible of value investing told me to do so, well, you've just been underweight good companies you've just (laughs) you've underperformed the market and underweight quality and underweight pricing power basically is how i would put it and so there's just really no right or wrong way to do it what i will say i'm quite confident in is the right way to do it is to think long term buy great companies think like a business owner not a trader I've still never been convinced that anyone can trade profitably for it like more than 10 years straight. I literally just, I've been doing this for so long and I have never once been convinced trading is a profitable endeavor. And sure, you know, someone's listening to this like, dude, I doubled my money on some stock yesterday. Like you idiot. If you do it for 10 years straight and you can prove to me, I'm all ears. I'm seriously all ears. I'm an open book. I love being convinced wrong of my own biases. I actually mean that, but I have yet to be convinced that other than buying great assets, whether it's the entire index or individual securities and holding on for a long term and compounding is truly the best way to make money in the stock market. And I'm not just saying that like to be all stoic, like don't trade, you know, like, you know, like some old guy. I'm saying this because I think that's how you actually make a life changing wealth. And I truly believe it. Yeah. What's
2: the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com.
0: I totally agree. I think the thing that I love about what you're building there and how much it helps is when you kind of combine the analysis of the financials with the, the KPIs, it gives you a better sense of the actual business. That's and, right. And, you know, a perfect example is if you look at Visa.
1: Well, of course, we can't
0: have Braden on and not talk about Visa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: What, uh, it would not be an episode of me on the yeah. IFB podcast unless we talked about the payment rails. <laughs> Yeah. and but the thing is, if you look at visa and if you just look at
0: the revenues, you may be a little bit underwhelmed, or you may even go Ew, you know it 's not doing so great, but then, if you look at you know the kPI of the cross border payments, which is so huge to their business and their profitability, and you don 't understand that those are actually increasing faster than the revenues are, that you'll start to understand, okay, this is how Visa operates. This is what really impacted them during the pandemic. And this is how they're rebounding from the pandemic. It's also an illustration of the strength or weakness of the economy because so many people are using Visa and MasterCard to make payments, buying groceries, buying food, some cases paying rent, buying gas, not as much here right now. But anyway, those are all indicators of bigger issues and bigger things that you can look into. And it can give you comparisons of how the company's doing, how it could be doing. And you know, that to me, I think is really beneficial for retail investors, whether they're retail or whether they're institutional investors, to have access to that information. And like you said, sometimes they don't make it the easiest to find. Visa does first to a certain extent, but there are companies out there like Amazon that will
1: hide things and make it harder to find. Totally. And if you look at like, I'm just on here right now, I just typed in V on the platform and, and got their total transactions I mean, total transaction volume for this company has went from 6.3 trillion to almost 14 trillion in the past 10 years in terms of total transaction volume on the Visa network. Like it's unbelievable. Like it, trying to get context for that level of scale is unbelievable and of course they're taking just a tiny take rate like you know less than like 0.14 percent it's kind of like a death by a million paper cuts type business model but on that tiny take rate we're talking about like what like 70 percent EBITDA margins it's so stupid like it's silly good and so these are the types of things that get me interested in terms of like trying to own the best businesses in the world and these are the types of things that tell that story Because if you're just looking at gap metrics and you say, wow, this thing's growing really well over time, like it's pretty surface level. You don't understand their moat, their competitive advantages, the durability, what drives that in the background. And so I think that all of those things make this game more fun. As a business, like someone who studies businesses, like even if I was fully indexed, uh, which I think is a great option for beginner investors, even if I just was like, this stuff excites me. Right, like this stuff makes nerds like you and I excited. Focusing on these kinds of things, understanding business models, and maybe you take some of that and some of that information and build your own business with it or your own side business with it. This is what gets me really excited uh, in the world today. I think the other thing that I like about it too is
0: when you're looking at businesses and you want to compare Shopify to Amazon if you just look at the gap financials sometimes those relationships are hard to see really where somebody may be eating into another person's you know market share Or not. And so by looking at like gross merchant value, or because I'm not super familiar with those companies, but I understand enough about how the businesses work that if I wanted to look at those and and see who is growing faster, how they're growing, and all those things, those will all relate to the, the financials and the business model and will help illustrate in greater detail whether the company does have a moat, whether the moat is eroding, and maybe some potential things that you could see coming in the future that could help you maybe get. Get out of a position, or think about whether this is you know going to be viable for the next five to ten years.
1: Yeah, that's a perfect example. Is like you know a lot of e-commerce companies publish that GMV number you just talked about, and it does help give people context. I mean, you have to factor in take rates and margins and figure all that stuff out. Like, is it a marketplace or is it like you know fee based transaction, like that kind of stuff. Those are questions that we can figure out later, but. It really helps us gain context of scale right out of the gate. Like how much are people actually moving? Or let's look at another e-commerce company like Etsy, okay? There's one comp I don't own it, but my co-host on my podcast does. And he's owned it for a while. He Like he noticed, right? He's made lots of money on it. He's known that, noticed like, my wife really likes this marketplace. And let me check it out. And he's like, wow, it's actually a really cool company. And by the way, lots of good ideas come from just like paying attention in your own life. That's like the old Peter Lynch thing, like channel checks, going to the mall and see what's, see what people are spending their money on, like classic stuff like that. And you look at that and the most important metric to track is in my opinion, I'm not a shareholder, In my opinion is active sellers on the platform because that will show the health of the ecosystem of people selling on their marketplace like if sellers are churning off because they're not making enough money if they start an Etsy shop and like I'm going to start selling, you know, necklaces or some other crafty good and like I've been doing this for a couple months and I've sold nothing and I'm no longer an active seller that in my opinion defines the health of the ecosystem of the marketplace uh better than active buyers in my opinion because these are people that matter it's like an Airbnb example how many hosts are on the platform Is that host number going up or down? Are are hosts churning off to go to VRBO, their competitor, or like doing direct listing on like making their own website and doing direct listing? You know, maybe the economics are better. Maybe they don't have to deal with Airbnb. That defines the health of the ecosystem, in my opinion, more so than anything else. And so I think tracking those things matter. And it may only be one thing that you can implement this into your portfolio where, you know, say you do own Airbnb. It's tracking gross booking value just over time or tracking active hosts on the platform, nights booked, or maybe you're really excited about the trend of people living on Airbnb. Over time, the amount, the nights booked in an Airbnb continues to trend up because people are like, screw it. I'm living in Costa Rica remotely and working remotely for three months. And I'm booking this Airbnb for three months at a time. This has massively skewed the average number of nights booked on the platform. Interesting trend. Like not only as an investor, but like this is a real thing that's happening. People are living on Airbnb. People are doing this whole remote live from anywhere type thing. And so maybe there's some other interesting takeaways there and, and I don't know, I just think it's cool.
2: If you're talking to like beginner who wants to be a DIY investor, there's so many KPIs like
1: where do you even start? Well, again, it's so nuanced depending on the business. It's not like a necessarily good place to start for trying to find ideas but it's a good place to do more research on the company like say you're already interested in Airbnb uh, as an investment and then going on to the platform typing in Airbnb and, B, and then you I think I don't think it's a great place to start per se but it's a good place to verify your investing thesis and do more and continue to monitor over time As well as just regular sales are, right? Like I have a rule for my investing framework that I don't buy companies that don't have growing revenues. It's like simple rule, right? And that's going to be on any, any gap accounting statement. You can find that information anywhere. It's just like so simple. I like the, it goes back to these like very simple questions that you have to ask yourself. Like, do I think this company is going to be bigger, better, more profitable in the future? If not, like I wouldn't own it for 10 seconds, right? Like in 10 years, like is it going to be better, bigger, more profitable, more defensible, more durable? more market share in 10 years. And if not, I'm not interested, right? Like you move on, right? Like it's pretty quick for me. I think a lot of people get caught up in low low value, like they got caught up in value traps. Uh, next thing you know, they're buying some 10% dividend yielding co that saw 15% decline in their sales in the past 12 months. I think that's a quick way to go broke. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I guess something that I think is kind of
0: interesting about what you're saying is, uh, I think it goes back to just kind of understanding what it is you're buying. And it also is understanding what your goals are and what you're, what you're trying to do. And I think having like that simple checklist, you know, especially for a beginner, having a simple checklist like that will help people understand what it is they need to look at for the different companies so that they can get a better sense of what it is they're going to be buying. Because again, when they buy a company, they're buying a piece of the company, and they're not just buying a ticker on whatever their investment platform is. It's actually a company that they're buying. You know, beginners, I think understanding some of those simple ideas and then looking at what the company is telling you a lot of times will reveal what those KPIs are. You know, whether it's their earnings calls, whether it's the press releases, whether it's at the top of their financial forms, uh, a lot of those times, or even if you hear. Even if you hear the talking head go on CNBC, the things that they're going to focus on are the things that are going to be important to the company. And those are things that you can take back
1: and look at and and see and see how those can impact your investment. It is the best way to focus on real signal versus noise. Because if you look out there today in financial media, financial news, The internet, you know, your watch list to see tickers going up and down for each reason. You get some notification. Oh, the worst thing ever. You get some notification on your brokerage that a stock you own is trading at high volume or like down five plus percent in the day, which happens all the time. I mean, come on, it's bear market. That is so much noise and can really take away from people focusing on fundamentals, especially if you're new to the market, especially if you're near the market. If you're brand new to the market and the stock you own goes down, which is very normal, happens all the time, you will be tricked. You're going to be tricked into thinking that there's some new development you don't know about. This is one of the biggest scams of daily mark-to-mark pricing of assets on a market as liquid as the stock market. The stock market being liquid and being able to share like exchange Uh, shares like, you know, I can go out there and buy shares, sell shares like in, in an instant is amazing. It's like one of the best things. Like it's just pure brilliance. Really it is, but it comes with a scam of people thinking that every day there's something to pay attention to in terms of each single equity moving around when each company really reports their results on a quarterly basis. Maybe they do some update on guidance here and there. Maybe they have some investor day. But other than that, like what else is there, right? Like there's some news, you know, some company does this, some company does that. Sure. Those might be important, but day-to-day movement on stocks with no real relevant fundamental change in the company is a real allusion to tracking what matters. And so as soon as you can recognize that, I think you'll do a lot more. Better in terms of being an investor, because that is like one of the biggest mistakes I see right out of the gate. Is like, there's you know, I'm new to this, there's no way I'm smart enough to the people who are selling this stock they must know something I don't, I'm out. And I think that that's a bad way to go. If you think like a business owner and not like trading some imaginary tickers, it'll help you a lot. So, why do you think a company like Facebook is so unloved right now?
0: Because I think it, you know, all the things that you were just talking about, if, if you took the F. If you you blocked out the Facebook part of it and just looked at the financials of the company, almost every investor will go, I want that. Yeah. Especially at the valuation, right? Like, yeah, right. You just all those things, but then you put that the meta or Facebook on there and you put Mark
1: Zuckerberg icky, right?
0: And it becomes icky. So why is that?
1: Yeah. It's a good question. It's a wonderful question because if you're to like run a model on like growth at a reasonable price, I think you might get maybe the best looking company I've ever seen in terms of my entire career of like EV to EBITDA versus EBITDA growth. Like when are you ever going to see this giant disparity? I don't think in my entire career I've seen anything quite like it. And you're right. It's such an icky thing to own. You know, some people have their thoughts about the Zuck. You know, it's still a founder-led business, which by the way, I'm a big fan of not necessarily him, but I'm a big fan of founder-led businesses. I actually think he's okay. People hate on I think he's all right. Facebook is in a weird situation right now, or sorry, meta, like correction, meta. Meta is in a situation right now, I believe that hundreds of business books are going to be written about. It is a pivotal point in the company where no pun intended, they are pivoting in terms of their messaging, things that they're focusing on. You know, you wonder as an investor, you're like, okay, this thing's still run by the founder. He has no real financial motivation anymore. The guy's worth over a hundred billion dollars. Well maybe not anymore, but (laughs) and you like, is this ADHD killing the company? Like should they focus on what they're good at? Or is this really Zuckerberg brilliance focusing on this next computing platform? in Oculus. And it's just such a hard question to answer that no one has the answer to. And you know what investors hate? When they don't have the answers. Investors hate uncertainty. They hate not knowing the answers. And that's why you've seen complete destruction in the multiple. Even though, I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at daily active users on Instagram and Facebook and everything looks fine. Everything looks good. You know, you look at the top 10 most downloaded apps on the app store, a lot of meta assets. And you have this like completely unmonetized WhatsApp, like the most used messaging app platform on in the world, like from a daily active user's perspective, people are just glued to this stuff. Like it's unbelievable. And then you look at it and you're like, is this Metaverse thing gonna pay off? Because it's no longer what I think I was wrong about is just some distraction. If you look at the Oculus Reality Lab spending, which is a KPI we track, It is in the tens of billions of dollars each quarter. So if that doesn't work, we are talking about one of the greatest capital incinerations I've ever seen. (laughs) You see what I mean? Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, so we are talking about a pivotal point in the company that hundreds of business books will be written about as the greatest move of all time or a complete destruction of a trillion dollar asset. And I don't know which way it's gonna go. But we're definitely watching this Oculus spending over time. And I think that it's become divisive for investors who currently own the company. They're like, dude, we just want you to, guys to keep making these addictive advertising platforms. Right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> It's just questions to be answered. That's the main thing. I think all that is super interesting. Andrew,
2: do you have something you wanted to so, Brayden, you've got these KPIs um that we've been discussing today. It is a feature in your platform, stratosphere.io. You guys also cover some of the biggest businesses. I know you have scores for quality, growth, value, and then obviously the KPIs too. So tell us a little bit about all of that and when people first go on the site, what's like the ideal way that you would tell them to navigate it if they haven't used the site for the first time?
1: Yeah, thanks for the. If you go to stratosphere.io and you don't even have to make an account, you should, you're going to unlock everything. It's free, but you, you can, seeing is believing, right? Like in five seconds, you can perform a search of some company you own or are interested in and get all 10 years of financial statements. If it's a large cap company, we're going to have all their key performance indicators. We're going to have the entire S&P 500 by the end of August, which is the promise that I've kept, uh, kept strong with. And we are ahead of schedule. So this is good. And you're going to go from knowing nothing to everything about the company, I think, pretty quick. And so I'm trying to make the process easier for professionals, people who are new to this, and someone in between all ranges of the spectrum to make fundamental research easier because it has been, people have been tricked into thinking that you have to be a professional to do this. People have been tricked into thinking that they have to pay expensive management fees to do this. And I don't believe that all of that is true. With the caveat that you are actually buying companies, holding them and not gambling in the stock market (laughs) because the stock market is not a gambling machine. Sure. You can make money on it, trade and stuff in and out. But I I truly believe that the life changing wealth is made by holding great companies for a long time. And so we want to make that easier for people. And so that's basically what it is. You do a search, you can navigate through the different tabs. I'm very biased, but I think that the UX and the UI is quite beautiful. I'm really happy with all how it all looks and feels.
2: That's really cool. So, you know, obviously can't argue with that idea. You got to buy good companies, you got to hold them. And that's how you're going to build wealth, let the companies do the work for you after you've laid some groundwork in. So Braden, it's been great to have you on all of this time. I know you're a super hard worker and you're really passionate about technology and it's cool to see another platform out there that can really bring a lot of value to people. And I mean, if it's free, what you got to lose, at least check it out, right? So people again can go to they can also listen to your podcast. Where else can they find out more about you online?
1: Yeah, for those Canadians or from Canada, obviously. If you're not even from you're not from Canada, I think the podcast is at least somewhat interesting. For some reason, Dave listens to it for hours on end while he's driving. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. I couldn't listen to my voice for that long.
0: It's really Network. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I co-host the show there. It's uh, episodes come out on Mondays and Thursdays. It's called The Canadian Investor. We talk about stuff like this news. All all kinds of fun stuff. We try to keep it fun. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, it's all awesome stuff. And, And as a frequent flyer on the platform as well as the podcast, it's definitely worth your time to check out. And there's a lot of great information there that can help you learn more about the companies that you're trying to buy and that's really the bottom line and the KPI stuff is newer to the platform but it's just 24 hours old to be to be exact (laughs) it's it's new new but I love it it's super easy to use and it's very illustrative and as a visual person it helps me a lot to kind of visualize and see things and I couldn't recommend it enough so uh, Braden again thank you for taking your time out of your day you know to come talk to us we do appreciate it and everyone out there go check out his website. Go check out the podcast. All right, folks. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Everyone go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week.
2: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com.